What in the hell, dude? You're trying to scare the pants off me. Not that I complain. <laughs> the evening starts innocently. The Alpha Kappa Pi girls back together again, unaware of the evil spirits. Oh, I... Please not do that. That's not wine. That's blood. I knew there had to be something to your story, DJ. This place is supposed to be haunted by the souls of seven murdered girls. It's a fantastic story. Each one of the girls dies a gruesome death. And with each, the killer takes a trophy. Things it turns out that each girl was most stuck up about. Monster Island Resorters, and thank you for returning once again to the Monster Island Resort, your online radio show that goes bump in the night. I am your host, Miguel Rodriguez, and I like to discuss horror and all things history, art, literature, film, and beyond. And today I have a great pairing episode with an upcoming event to the San Diego, California area, although I think our topics of discussion today will be relevant and interesting to anyone who is not from the area. The event in question is a September 24th screening of a film called Crazy Bitches, a horror comedy about a serial killer or a slasher that targets the vanity in people. Yes, it's one heck of a title. The film event will be put on by San Diego's own LGBT film festival, known as Film Out San Diego, and will take place at Hillcrest Landmark on Fifth Avenue, Again, at about 7 p.m. on Wednesday, September 24th. Now, members of the cast, as well as writer-director Jane Clark, will be in attendance. And I decided to give Jane a call and have a little talk about the film to uh, see what some of her thoughts were. I saw it myself. I had a lot of fun. So we get to talk about her experiences making the film, her process writing and directing the film, as well as some of the other motifs that are on and what exactly she's trying to say with a horror comedy called Crazy Bitches. But uh, don't take my word for it. Let's get on to the conversation. Hello, Jane Clark, and thank you for vacationing down to the Monster Island Resort. Good morning. I'm happy to be there. Let's get down to brass tacks. Uh, your film is called Crazy Bitches. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's like someone put uh, a real Housewives type reality show and a <laughs> cabin in the woods type slasher into a blender and hit puree. So what made you realize that these two elements could blend so well? Well, you know, I, I actually thought the, I thought of the concept first, not the genre. So I you know, I was just thinking about how women can sometimes you know, treat their friends maybe not as good as they should or or say things that, that they don't mean to hurt the other person's feelings, but they do in an effort to build their own sense of self up. And it was after a particular lunch where that happened to me that I started thinking there might be something in that idea. And then I started thinking, what would that be? And I see when people are very vain or speaking out of vanity, a lot of times the truth is that the underlying issue is that they're insecure about that particular vanity. And I started thinking about that. 
I don't know. Somehow or another, I found my way around to taking these women and, and whacking them off. I, I'm not exactly <laughs> sure how I got there, but the mixing of the genres was really more about just wanting to tell a story about these women and then, okay, what is what is a great setting and a sort of a great conceit to tell the story? Was there some kind of maybe a need for catharsis on your part to, to make that happen? Well, you know, there probably was. I have to admit, it was interesting, and uh, I, I kind of embraced this, um, the, the joy of creating fresh murder concepts. I don't know. It's a scary thing for me. But when I started it, I just started it like any other project. But the further I got into the the deaths and trying to figure out how each person died and, and then actually executing it and then dealing with my special effects guy to add a little oomph to it yeah. just became really addictive. It became really fun. I'm actually, you know, working on a concept, a, a new script that, you know, I'm just spending half my time figuring out how the people die. I'm not even sure how I'm going to construct the story. I'm just excited about the deaths. It's funny that this film has dark themes like you just talked about with deaths and stuff, but it's looking at it with almost a more comedic tone, which is a little bit different from your last film, Meth Head, uh, yeah. with Lucas Haas. So how do you um, deal with tone and decide what the tone's going to be? Yeah, you know, I I think it happens for me a, in a fairly organic way. It's sort of taking the idea first, uh, what am I trying to say? And then um, a lot of times it just evolves in my writing. You know, the truth is with Method, and Method's a really, it is a hard film and it's a dark film, but there's a lot of humor in it if you allow yourself to respond to it. It's just what happened with that film was that, you know, if we were in a big group of people, like a, a really packed audience, like Film Out, uh, when they showed it, there was a really big audience and they were all taking the ride together and the humor emerged from it because everybody felt comfortable laughing together at the at the more humorous parts or the light more lighthearted parts mm -hmm. when you get that movie alone or in smaller groups people it, it's it's just so disturbing that people don't feel comfortable like they can laugh but I always write some sort of humor into everything I've ever done and with crazy bitches you know I'm sorry, the it title just, is just great. <laughs> I know. Well, see, that's half the thing. When I came up with the title, it just sort of demanded that uh, there was a sense of humor to it. And it did turn out to be, it's really a fun ride. It's just a fun, especially with an audience, mm -hmm. to sit there and, and, you know, the laughs start hitting right from the very first scene. And I've had to adjust my mind to a more interactive experience with the audience on this one. Yeah, well, you know, about the title, would you think or are you a little afraid maybe that it might be a harder sell for festivals or distributors? Or do you think that's something that would actually help in that department? You know, the response from distributors has been pretty good. And everybody pretty much across the board says it's a great title. <laughs> you know, it's catchy and you don't forget it. And it does make you laugh. And um, there has been some concern in terms of certain markets, like trying to sell into Redbox or, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. But there's ways around, you know, you can put a... Asterisk or something. Yeah, or like <laughs> one, one person that was using bitches in a title put a, a crime scene tape over the ITC or, you know, you, right. you can do that. You know what it says, but you're not being overt about it. So I'm not particularly worried from the distributor's point of view. I don't know, you know, I think this film is a fairly commercial film. So I think that there are going to be more hardcore, hard genre festivals that might not respond as strongly to it. 
because I think this is the kind of movie that I would go see and I don't go to see hardcore horror. Mm -hmm. You know, I made a movie that that I could go and have fun and be okay with the murders and still get kind of grossed out, but not get so grossed out that I couldn't actually watch it. Right. It kind of falls in the vein of like Scream or or, a little more of the horror comedy blend. But yeah, it does have enough of both that I think it could have some cross genre appeal. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, there's some. I think some of those murders are pretty, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love. See, that's why I love talking about this stuff. Is sentences like that come out? Yeah. <laughs> It's scary. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny because, you know, one of the whole themes of Crazy Bitches is that your characters aren't – you even alluded to this. It's the theme. They're not very nice people. And uh, I suppose shallow would probably be, be be the most diplomatic adjective for most of them. So how about the writing process? Can you talk about writing characters like that and how you get an audience to go along with them even though they're relatively unlikable? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because what I was trying to do is represent what you think of as the cliche of these women, the virgin, the brain, the athlete, the whatever, all these cliche types, and show the surface of their vanity, which is what you first see when you meet somebody. And then through the course of the film, show the little cracks in their armor so that while you may not end up liking all of them, you can at least see see where some of their damage comes from that makes them the way they are. That was my goal with the process. So that you represent, you know, they represent that cliche, annoying, the kind of person you don't know why you'd be friends with, (laughs) but you just happen to be for some strange reason. And then as you go along, you get to see why they act the way they act, where their vanity comes from, why they're trying to make, what they're trying to make themselves feel better about. So that by the time they're killed off, you, I hope that you at least understand them a little bit better. You're not going to end up liking all of them, but you will like some of them. But hopefully you understand what makes them the way they are. Well, it seems like your intention, and and forgive me if I'm wrong, I just saw the film, but it seems like your intention is to examine a relationship between two opposing notions, vanity and insecurity. And the idea that that vanity actually comes from insecurity, which is a strange thought because it's like it's polar opposite. Yeah, you'd think it was polar opposite, but you know, when you, my feeling is that if somebody has to work that hard to convince you that they're great, Mm. they must not believe it themselves. You know, that there's something in there. And even the one girl whose, you know, vanity is her virginity, it's it's a cover for something that scares her or is a weakened part of her. Mm So, I, you know, I think that um, I do really do believe those two things go hand in hand. There's a difference between vanity and confidence. And, you know, there's people that are very confident in themselves and, and rightly so. And then there are people that, you know, spend a lot of time just trying to make sure that you think that they're great. And those people must not really feel like they're that great or they wouldn't try so hard. They would just know and believe. Right. It's so like an o- overcompensation. Exactly. So I thought it was, I just thought it was an interesting duality. You know, it's, it's just this, this, uh, like you said, the polar opposites and, and what you can, how you can pull from that. Uh, that was my challenge in, in writing the script. And truthfully, I wrote all the characters for actor friends of mine. So I took, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I know. That, that's starting. That sounds uh, like it might make some people happy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you know what I like, I, I'd like to tell them that I took the thing that they are confident and rightly so about and I exaggerated it in, into a vanity right 
Rather than, you know, just telling them that they're actually these horrible, vain people, which they aren't. They're all loving people. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to sort of put together a project that I could work with people I knew were good actors and that I could have fun with. And and so I took I really did draw from these particular people, some more than others. Um, and then, you know, over the course of time, some people went off and got other jobs and they weren't available. So I probably replaced about half of those actors with new people that I, you know, auditioned, but, um, but that was the genesis of each character was a, was a true person that actually exists. Well, you've got a lot of pop music in crazy bitches. So one thing I wanted to th- I was thinking about while watching it because I'm watching hundreds of movies right now for my festival. I'm sure. And this is something that is interesting. How do you go about the song selection as opposed to having someone compose a score to actually specifically fit the tone of a certain scene. I have a great music supervisor. Her name's Jen Corday and she's a musician. Mm-hmm. She lives actually in Orange County and she because she tours, she meets a lot of new fresh artists. And so when I'm doing a project, I'll send her a rough cut so she can see it and then I'll talk to her about, you know, each particular place where I think that I could use source music. And I'll say, this is what I'm trying to get at. This is the feel I'm trying to get. Um, you know, and then she just blasts me a ton of options. And then I just go through them. And if I find it, it's great. If not, she goes back to the drawing board and finds me more. She's got access to all these unbelievably great, talented uh, musicians that just, you know, nobody's heard of yet. Yeah. And so it's it's sort of a fun discovery. My my uh, music li- um, music mix is very eclectic because it's all the music that I've searched through on all my films over the years. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. But um, so yeah, I mean, I just sit, I, I just wait, and I till she sends me stuff, I plug it in, and then I see how it feels for me with the visual. And it's sometimes sometimes it's fast. We find things really quickly, and sometimes it's it's a it's a long process because. You know, I mean, I don't know. You know, I only can go with my personal tastes and everything. But um, but you kind of get a sense once a film is cut and you have the scene actually playing out and you've got the music under it. You get a sense of whether something's going to work or not. And um, so, you know, I start there. And then with my composed music, I actually have this fantastic composer who did Meth Head as well. And Mm -hmm. uh, I start the same way with him. I go back to him and say, okay, look, here's the movie. It's a rough cut of the movie. This is the style I think I want, you know, and with this one, I just I didn't really have a way to put it into words. I just kept saying, you know, I wanted to respect the ranch. I mean, I wanted I want us to feel the environment of the ranch and the ranch world and not be traditionally horror movie esque. And it was interesting because he composed a bunch of things like the first four songs of the movie. And and I went over it with him and I was like, you know, I'm just, I don't know, this isn't working and this isn't working. But we got to this one song that he wrote to lead into a piece of source music that I had because he wanted them to blend. Yeah. And I was like, that is the feel. Right. So drawing off that source and that sound from that source music actually helped us find the tone of the composed music. So they actually worked very much hand in hand. And I love what he did with the slide guitar and the, I mean, it's just so fun. And, you know, and then also with him, I always, I like to reference the characters. So the ranch hands have a certain sound Mm -hmm. that comes in with them and the 
and Minnie, the intuitor, she has a certain sound that always comes in when she's intuiting because music, but so everybody has this sort of music that's built around them. And then it's a matter of how do you mesh it all so that it feels fairly seamless. And then with the source music as well, and you know, it's a process, but they, they, they walk hand in hand really. And then there's the Crimson and Clover was just, I, I don't know why, but I knew right off the start that that, that scene would go great with that piece of music. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, I cut to it in the, uh, Joan Jett version, mm-hmm. but I can't, you know, I couldn't afford Joan Jett. Right. So, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, but I went back to the, I went back, got the music rights, the publishing rights, and then sort of put a call out to all my musician friends and just said, Hey, you know, send me your rendition of it and let me feel what it feels like. And then once I found the voice I wanted, we really just went back and beat by beat shaped the song to fit the cut that I had. And I love it. I think it turns out great. And when we were watching it at Outfest, the audience started singing with it. Yeah, I bet. In fact, I expect that to happen here. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun. I was like, this is, that's the part of the, that's the interactive part I've been talking about. It's just, I've never made a movie where people have been so verbal through it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, well, yeah, the murders and yelling at the screen. And uh, it's just been fun. Well, that's what's great. You know, and that's I think the biggest difference between Meth Head and this one is this one feels like it's made for the drive in in the 1980s, 70s. And that's exactly what you want. You want people throwing popcorn at the screen and and doing things like that. It, It just really heightens the experience. Yeah, completely. It's been a real kick. It's funny you say that because I was on the Cape last week dealing with some stuff and I was driving to visit some friends that live in Provincetown and there's a there's an old drive-in in Wellfleet and I passed the drive-in and I thought that to myself I thought oh god I got to contact them this would be such a fun place to watch this movie mm-hmm. and even Outfest we were at the Ford Amphitheater which is outdoors and is surrounded by trees and just that environment worked really really well for it so maybe i'll maybe i'll find the few drive-ins left in the country and and pitch them with the idea of screening it you're already screening in san diego but there are a couple here actually so yes there are they uh i don't know how open they are to uh, an independent film screening they tend to screen stuff like you know cars too but but, family family movie exactly that's what that's what's become of them (laughs) Oh, well, so, well, it's a concept anyway. We'll have to make our own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is yeah, this is the kind of movie I think of when I think of the classic drive-in. Yeah, on that note, Crazy Bitches is screening here in San Diego on September 24th, and it's part of Film Out San Diego. Uh, Meth Head screened at Film Out San Diego, and you just talked about this already screening at Outfest. So for anyone who doesn't know, by the way, Film Out is San Diego's LGBT film festival and uh, also a huge partner for Horrible Imaginings, my own festival. But uh, that said, I've noticed more and more an embracing of, you know, more genre or horror or thrillers from the LGBT movement. I've seen panels on gay horror. I've seen gay themed horror films coming out more and more. So do you see elements of a horror film that the gay community can relate to? Is that something you wanted to show in Crazy Bitches? Well, you know, it's interesting. Crazy Bitches, so it really is not from a old school sense, an LGBT film. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a few years ago, it probably would never have gotten seen in that in that category in that genre because um 
It has a, just a very small sub storyline that uh, one of the characters is gay, and there's a there's a storyline that, that fleshes out around her. Um, that's a small part of the film. I, I, but I I've played in that in that world a, lo- a while with other projects, and um, and I so I I have a relationship there. So the fact that it's not fully hundred percent gay, I guess you'd say that. It doesn't really matter, but I also think that times are changing, and the LGBT community and the progress they've made over the last couple of years in mm-hmm. terms of gay rights and marriage equality and all of that, I think has diminished the need to make a LGBT festival all about the gay-centric story and coming-out stories and all of that. I think that, not that there isn't still room for them, but they don't... But but it doesn't need to dominate the festival anymore, and there mm-hmm. can be room for films, films and filmmakers making movies in different genres with LGBT characters that don't make the movie about that. Well, yeah, I think ultimately it should be about just a story in which different people are represented, right? Yeah, correct, absolutely. You know, I mean, we're playing straight festivals, we're playing horror festivals. Um, mm-hmm. We got a bunch coming up in September, October, November. And um, nobody's looking at this film, including the LGBT, as a gay film necessarily. It's just a film, and it's a film that people are enjoying and they feel there's an audience for. The the one thing that actually makes it fit comfortably into the LGBT outside the, the small storyline is just that we happen to have some celesbians in the in the film mm-hmm. that are very popular in that community. Their fans like to see them, and their fans like to see them in whatever they do. It doesn't have to be a gay film. And in fact, I think that there's more power, there's more power in taking an LGBT character and putting it in a film that crosses genres and, and plays to a straight audience, because then it's about the normalcy. My world is feels multicultural and, and multigender, and I so I feel like, whatever I do should be a reflection of the world I live in. And I think the world I live in is becoming more mainstream when you step outside of Los Angeles and New York and Chicago and you know what <laughs> the, I mean? The big cities. The big yeah. Cities. I think that there's a, just a different way of pe- that people look at this now that wasn't the case five years ago. Well, that's what's remarkable is, is how quickly things seem to be shifting. Very fast. Very, yeah. very fast. i Go through my notes from your film, Crazy Bitches, and a lot of the central themes, which, as you said, is kind of, I guess, what some people would call female caddishness. <laughs> but I don't I didn't even know if I was going to want to talk about this on the show. But right now, there seems to be this overwhelming onslaught of misogyny online. I'm not so sure if you're familiar with it. In the last week, maybe two weeks, there's been uh, a lot of attacks uh, from people in the gamer community about uh, a series of videos that were made by a woman named Anita Sarkeesian. Mm-hmm. And she's examining uh, how women are portrayed in video games. And it's a very thoughtful, reasonable set of videos. And it has attracted some of the most vicious, hateful things I've ever read. And, uh, and yeah, and then just like last night, I think, or, or two days ago, there's been this deal with a uh, with these leaked photos from like Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Jennifer Lawrence and a whole bunch of other people where people hacked into their iClouds and found all these nude photos oh, and put them no. all online. Yeah, that's brand new. 
And so Mary Elizabeth Winstead said, I hope you feel happy with yourselves or something really not that vicious, but obviously upset. And of course, the slime balls came out of the woodwork again and, and just filled her Twitter with absolute bile, oh uh, hateful stuff. Yeah. And so she stopped on Twitter and, and I'm seeing this a lot. And so I'm reading, watching your film, thinking about these things that I want to talk about your film and that is also in my brain. So I didn't know if if um, if you were familiar with all that stuff going on. And if you weren't, then I feel like a jerk for making you familiar with them. No, that's but, okay. No, I'm not familiar with it. But um, as it pertains to Crazy Bitches, you know, I... Well, I think, you know, I think... Look, I think if a man went out and made a movie called Crazy Bitches, and he, mm-hmm. and he laid his own interpretation on these characters, it would be a different film, and it would not... I don't think it would be palatable. Right. I think my characters are all human beings first. And I spent a lot of time with character development so that you could see that they're all human beings with pain and fear and screwed up backgrounds and all those things that women have going. And I also really did want to get people to start thinking about what does friendship and sisterhood really mean if you're going to be, I I think we're just brought up to be, well, there's just a lot of mean girls out there. And, you know, the mean girls aren't, they aren't mean girls because they're just vicious people. They're mean girls because they've got fears and scare, you know, and insecurities and all of that stuff themselves. I mean, I think we, if we need to start looking at each other and seeing past the surface and then reaching out a little further to say, okay, I, I see that pain. I'm going to look past the way you're behaving and see the pain in, in, in the situation. Now I have this, I have this, uh, experience and I've had it before, but the first time it happened to me, we used to temp for a living when I was acting and, um, I would get in these long-term temp jobs in you know, three, four, five months at a time. And I went into this temp job and I was always very nervous going in. I was worried to do a good job. I didn't know anybody. I, I could be shy in certain, certain circumstances. So I'd stay by myself. And three months into it, let's say I was having lunch. I'd made friends with one of the girls and I was having lunch with her. And she said, you know, it's funny, but when you first started here, I thought you were a stuck up bitch. <laughs> wow. I was like, what? what? Because you would never, and especially at that time in my life, have met a more insecure, uh, more uh, girl. I didn't. She's like, yeah, you just thought you were the best thing. And you came in there and you weren't talking to anybody. You didn't bother to talk to. And her perception of me was that I was stuck up because I really, if she went, once she looked further, she realized I was a really nice person that just was, you know, shy in the circumstance. But it read as something else. So for me, that's my, that's what I want crazy bitches to, I want people to recognize that I'm not writing characters. There's just this surface bitchy, nasty girl. I'm trying to say there's a reason these girls are friends because underneath there's vulnerable, sweet people that just don't know how to, this just don't trust enough. Mm -hmm. And the, the bit of relationships that do come out of that and grow through the film are examinations of that as well and understanding each other a little bit better. And the idea that maybe we, we as women need to start looking at how we don't support each other because we don't, there's, you know, it's very hard. I find this industry to be very misogynistic. I mean, even from the women not wanting to screw up their own opportunity by helping helping somebody else up and then I've met some wonderful women too but I don't see crazy bitches as because where my heart is and what I'm trying to say and because I'm a woman saying it I think crazy bitches 
is recognizable to other women. These characters are recognizable as human beings and not as caricatures. If it were in different hands, it might not be the case. So you feel like a, a need to build an element of empathy. I think empathy is what we're really missing in all this. So I think that's really boils down. If I had to boil down everything you're telling me yeah. into one word. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it, it's being able to see the situation through someone else's eyes for a second. Yeah, right? that's it. That's exactly it. And, you know, it's been interesting because some of the reviews have said, you know, if, if there's anything that sets apart this film as different if you wanted to pick one thing, it would be the character development. But if, if there's anything that's going to bring this film down is the character development just because people don't expect it in horror movies. I had one distributor say, you know, they just can you you might want to go back and cut it and take the talking out. Maybe that is part of what can elevate what people see as a horror film. The people out there who are making, especially the smaller horror films, are doing exactly what you just said, trying to build more of a story and trying to challenge what the mainstream assumption of a horror film is. And th those are the ones I'm more interested in. Yeah, I mean, I think that there it might there, there might be, because the budget, you know, if you're working in a budget that's manageable, mm -hmm. you are not as beholden to fulfill a ABCs of the genre. Yeah. You know, because, because you can take a little bit more of a chance because you don't have to, you don't have to make so much money back. Yeah. You know, the more money that you have, the more you have to fit the the standard assumption of a horror film. Because you have to make it more commercial. Because you have to, you have to, you actually have to make it more genre. Fit people's expectations. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, to sell that genre market, because that's also another. It's interesting, but you know, you think about the LGBT world branching out and accepting mm -hmm. these new genres and not having to have these gay centric stories, and and the horror world when you get into distribution, some people want to see that genre branch out and become, you know, constantly becoming fresh and new and they're willing to take that on. And other people don't know what to do with a film that doesn't fit, fit the, the structure that it's supposed to fit. Right. And the, and the, the type of story that it's supposed to fit. And so you really find, and I found this with Method too. I don't think the problem ever with a good film is the audience. If you can get to the audience you're going to find plenty of people who get your movie, even if you take chances and you push tone and you and you build character and you do all those things. But you have to get through the film festivals that in many times are stuck, still stuck in that world. Mm -hmm. And you have to get past the distributors and the sales agents who are their bottom line is how do I easily make money? Yeah, well, I easily make money because I understand what this genre is supposed to be. So if this film fits all the rules and I know how to market it because I've marketed 400 of these yeah and i will reach that small group of people that are loyal and that will buy but they don't really want to do the extra work to figure out how to reach the, the wider commercial audience they want to just sell to who they know how to sell to not spend much money not spend much time and effort and just bank their bank their dollars Yep, and move on to the next and one. And move on to the next one. And and that's that's the weird part of where the the film world is right now. There's a lot of really wonderful indie films, which I'm sure you see, mm -hmm. coming across your desk. And I've seen a bunch of them at festivals I go to, and I used to program for a film festival. But they never see the light of day. You know, Very if, true. If they're not in some... If, if they break too many rules, or they're too experimental, or they're too... I don't know. It's weird. It's like they have to fit categories so neatly these days for a distributor to pick you up. 
And then even when the distributor picks you up, the trickle down to the filmmaker who actually just put their heart and soul into a film for two years is, 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 is we're always the last people in line. Oh, yeah. And our percentages are small. So people think, oh, you're out there making movies. Yeah, I'm out there making movies and not making a paycheck and w- wondering if the distributor is actually going to send me a, any kind of decent money back of all the work I've been doing. So it's like they just want the easiest, fastest. And they have their, they know they can make X amount of money if they take that thing and they do it that certain way. And trying to break out of it and do something different presents problems. Yeah, it seems like an insurmountable kind of quandary because it, it's always been business and art kind of it having a weird kind of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with the advent of VOD and the, and the complete flood of content, it, it seems way more acute than it's ever been. No, you're absolutely right. It is the flood of content and weeding through it. And, um, and then also just, you know, it goes, it's the flood of content and the lack of imagination that distributors have these days. I mean, even when you look at the big blockbuster movies, I was reading an article recently that said, you know, summer summer movies were down by something like, I could be wrong, but I want to say 15% this year. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. It was a huge drop in attendance, and it's not because people aren't going to the movie theaters. The article was saying that it's because there's nothing new. There's just nothing new out there. That's the problem with, you know, when the distributors step up and they're like, I just need something that I know I can make money on because they're scared they're going to become obsolete. And, you know, the big the big tentpole movies have their cost one hundred million dollars. They have they have they feel like they have to deliver something that the audience recognizes or they won't go. But I think in the end, it's just sort of backfiring on everybody um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next five years because this industry is changing so rapidly and the, the process of distribution is changing and the avenues for people like me are opening up and we have choices that we didn't have three, four years ago. Yeah, it's so unpredictable. It's so unpredictable. And so, you know, I don't know. It could be that five, six, seven years from now, sales agents are, are obsolete. You know, maybe you don't need a sales agent to sell your movie and get a good distributor and you know, I don't know. It's just, but it's changing, and I'm approaching this one a lot different than I did Meth Head. A little more self-driven, maybe. A little more self-driven, and certainly with the confidence that I can, I can, I don't have to accept a, any deal that comes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can make a choice. I can make a different kind of choice. And you know, having said that, we have a bunch of offers on the table, and they're all good companies. And we'll see where we go. But I certainly have. You know, we're thinking about doing tug screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, leading up to our release, we want to release on Valentine's Day which, weekend, which we thought would be funny. Yeah, that would be really fun. And um, which happens to be Friday the thirteenth, also. In- oh, there you go. Yes, yeah, so it's like double. <laughs> we're gonna do a. Uh, we're gonna counter program Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, we, we're we're thinking of alternatives. How do we get it out there in a different way? You know, if we can't do a full theatrical, can we do these tug events? And tug has been interesting. It's it's a lot of work. I know. I've heard. It's like any social media, you know, try doing Kickstarter. It's Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. I've done that about six times. Oh, yeah, have I, you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did, lot of work. but I failed. Oh, I'm happy to say that I've, I've made my goal every time, but it's because that has to be a full-time job. Like, I don't think that a lot of people realize crowdsourcing, tug, any kind of appeal like that. Even recently, I just ran a race to, uh, uh, it was a charity race for childhood cancer. And even something like that, like requires constant, constant 
Oh yeah. Attention. It yeah. is. It's a full-time job. I mean, I, I, I may have set my goals too high and that's the other thing that you learn, but you know what I ended mm-hmm. up doing, honestly, I went and put a PayPal link on my website and I went back to all those people that supported me the first time around and just said, listen, if you really do want to support me, I'm not going to promise a t-shirt and I'm not going to, I can't do all of that. M- yeah. Money has to go up on the screen, but if you want to support me, I would be grateful to have your support. And everybody who went to Kickstarter came back and just clicked on that PayPal link. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah, because, you know, I think ultimately people don't need all those gifts. The perks, they yeah. They don't need the perks. That I mean, it was a cool idea when it first came up. And, you know, Indiegogo really started it in a way. But it was a good concept. But when you talk to filmmakers, you know, they just having to give to, to, to do the work to send all that stuff back. Mm-hmm. The money it's, it takes is money that they can't put into the movie. Well, if you don't, if you don't factor in what you think the perks are going to cost, including shipping, yeah, into your goal, yeah, then it's lost. Then you it's have lost. to factor that in. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely do. And then you do, like you said, it's a full time job. You yeah. have to be working it every day, and it helps to have a team of people working it every day with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the other half of it that I didn't expect, and I couldn't. I couldn't uh, support because I just I'm me myself doing this stuff by myself and I just don't have the bandwidth for it. And I know Tug is is a similar sort of experience. I've had friends that have done it. What I'm hoping to do is pair up with somebody like you, you know, mm-hmm. who has a database and a membership and split proceeds and do a fundraiser for a festival or a fundraiser for a horror organization or pair up with a blogger or whatever it is. Oh yeah. Well, you have to do all that stuff, but you know what? The, the good news is tug is, is work, but it's better. It's easier than crowdsourcing because with, with tug, you're kind of asking people to just buy a ticket for the event. Right. You know, right. it's not like help me fund this thing I haven't made yet. <laughs> So it's like, it's a little bit different. Yeah, you're right. That's a good way to look at it. That's a good point. You know, and ultimately it's just, it's just to continue to, you know, spark interest leading up to, um, you know, there's just some places we won't be able to hit because we're doing a very short festival run. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of festivals in the spring that I would normally play or would consider playing and that I thought that we can pair up with so that even though we can't actually play their dates because we're already released, we could still play their community. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, you you can't sneeze at just a screening. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of filmmakers want to get into these festivals, which always helps because sometimes they're in competition and you can get laurels and all that stuff. But sometimes just getting it in front of an audience at all and someone in that audience being a part of the press and you get a review out of it, it helps. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, an audience is an audience. And, you know, the sad part is, so Meth had won 12 awards and, you know, played over 30 festivals and, and is still playing. Actually, Method's playing in New York and L.A. September and October. But when we went to talk to distributors, they were like, eh, yeah. Yeah. So you got well, those laurels. So you won those awards. Yeah. Dime a dozen. Yeah. They don't, they don't care. They don't care at all unless you're coming out of Sundance, South by, you know, Berlin, yeah. Toronto. They don't. It doesn't mean anything to them. Believe me, I know that a hundred percent. Yeah. It's kind of you know. It's I don't know. It's crazy. discouraging. Yeah. It's discouraging because it's like wow, and you know, it costs so much to do festivals in the first place. It's yeah, I know. That's why I actually don't charge a submission fee for mine. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool yeah. of you. Well, it's hard because I get every film ever. Oh, right. <laughs> because of it, but 
but um, I don't ever want to because it's not my thing. And this year I'm doing it in competition, but I usually don't, you know, I, I don't charge a submission fee. I don't like the idea of competition for a couple of reasons. It's not my mission. And the other is, you're right, it, it seems like a false sense of accomplishment in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Unless I was at South by Southwest or Sundance, which I'm not. I'm, I'm quite small. But for me, I feel like I'm more of like a museum curator. You know, I found something I think it's worth seeing and I want people to see it. And that's my thing. I'd rather not take films or filmmakers who I've chosen to be or selected to have an audience and then have them compete with each other. I, I That just puts a bad taste in my mouth. But yeah, that's always it's a personal thing. <laughs> now, that's always a weird thing, too. I mean, you get to festivals and you're like, what am I playing against? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And, you know, and there's only a finite audience. And I, oh, yeah. One place Meth had played, this, this was the most annoying thing. We played this festival and they, they switched their big closing night party, which is an $80 ticket, to opposite Meth Head. Wow. And I had people saying, oh, I'm dying to see your movie, but, you know, I bought this $80 ticket. Yeah. And, you know, and I was that's like, brutal programming. Oh, Ugh. yeah. I'm like, it's a movie called Meth Head. It's about, you know, it's like you, you the partiers that are going to the party are the people that would want to see the movie. <laughs> yes. Doesn't make any logical sense. Well, what, what doesn't actually make logical sense, and as a film festival programmer, I guess I have some leeway to say this. If you are going to have a big party closer, that's an extra VIP pass like that then nothing else should play against it. Like, that is your final event. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. just needs to be, because people are just, they are going to pick the party. They just of are. Of course. Yeah, that's human nature. Yeah, but it was it's yeah. all stuff like that. You go to so many festivals, and you watch the pairings, and you try to figure out logically, like, how did they come up with, like, what, what made them think that made sense? <laughs> you know? I think we uh we we played Whistler, which was a great festival with Methhead, and um they put us opposite Di Dallas Buyers Club. Mm -hmm. I was like, really, Dallas Buyers Club? That's gonna release next week? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Same exact audience. Yeah, same exact audience. Same definitely. Same exact audience. It was a crazy. It was just crazy. Not fair. <laughs> Not fair. We still did. We still did well. We still we had about a two thirds audience, so we didn't completely get drained by them. But I'm sure that most of them were overflow and wanted to see Dallas Buyers Club and <laughs> couldn't get in. Hey, but sometimes that works, right? If, if you have someone who's pleasantly surprised or happy with what they did, sometimes the feeling's even stronger. That's true. That's true. But... Well, I'm going to. Uh, Go ahead and lead into just one last bit. Okay. Because we've been going on for a while now. <laughs> it's fun. But um, so to kind of lighten things up, if you could pick one of the funniest anecdotes from the shoot of Crazy Bitches, what would it be? Well, we had a bunch of crazy stuff happen. I'm sure you did. Um, you know, I, I think the, the llama that got loose was pretty funny. The what? There was a llama. You know, we had wild animals. We had <laughs> yeah. farm animals on the ranch, and a llama <laughs> somehow got out of its cage and was basically running straight for our set. That was interesting because everybody had to scramble to get the, the wrangler down there, you know, to cover it up. And, you know, there's a bunch of stupid stuff. Like, you know, we needed – it was supposed to be raining, and we didn't have – it was the hottest two weeks of the summer last summer. Mm. So we were, like, constantly walking around with a hose trying to spray stuff down, and we had actors that were getting – basically interrupted by the pigs squealing and 
you know, we like literally had to hold on a scene to get the pig through his whatever he was upset about. And, uh, you know, it's just like animal related things on that set were completely, obviously unique to crazy bitches because I've never shot with that many animals around. So that was really pretty funny. Um, yeah, they they don't listen to direction very well. They really don't. They really don't care that you're shooting, and they don't care that you just told them everybody quiet. And uh, <laughs> one of my actresses was in the middle of this really pretty heartfelt monologue, and this pig went off. It just went off, and it would not stop. And all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh, oh, wait, okay, holding." And she looked at me. She goes, "Really? We're holding for a pig?" I'm like, "Yeah, we're holding for the pig." <laughs> what else can you do? She's like, "I'm do? having bacon tomorrow." <laughs> Like, okay. Yeah. But it's, it's, I mean, it was mostly stuff like that. I got to tell you, in all honesty, Crazy Bitches was a much harder shoot on so many levels. The fun was in the result, but the process was brutal. Yeah. Well, in the heat, I'm sure, was no fun. It was no fun at all. It was 101, 102. We were on the top of a mountain. We also, you know, it was 15 days and no money and the small crew and... Everything just seemed to go wrong. And, you know, we started with six days of night mm. shoots, which, you know, killed the crew and everybody. I mean, it was just very, very stressful. We were moving super fast. And I don't think I took into consideration the um, the added complexity of things like... Hey, there's an animal. There's an animal. It's a very little one. But, you know, like blood knives that have to work and... You know, yeah. Stunts and and blood in the and, heat is always fun too. Ew, it's just gross. That stuff stains. It's sticky. Yeah, the flies liked it a lot. Oh, yeah, they love it. <laughs> I have to, I have to admit, this was one of those like you know you get a lot of those key moments on when you're shooting where you're like, wow, I couldn't have gotten this on my own. But we had one scene um, that involves a murder in blood, and all of a sudden the flies started landing. And I was like, oh, my God, close up on the flies, close up on the flies. I mean, it was just I couldn't have paid to get fly wranglers. You know what I mean? That's right. (laughs) But I got these free flies that were like swarming this. I was like, this is great. And then I got into post and I started, you know, I had a lot of fun adding the fly sounds and the. (laughs) And I found this fly track where the fly actually, you know, in the sound. Yeah. It was a fly flying by ears. Right. So It wasn't just extraneous out in the middle of the set you actually felt like the fly was going right past your ear you know like it gets louder toward the middle yeah oh yeah it was fun it was good good times but in the nice cool editing suite in the nice cool editing suite in my nice little dark nobody bothering me no animals bothering me (laughs) yeah no fly strips in my hair which happened a couple times all right delicious fun good times Good times. All right. Well, I just want to remind everyone who's listening, particularly if you're in San Diego or within 100 miles, that on Wednesday, September 24th, Film Out San Diego will be presenting a screening of Crazy Bitches with members of the cast and crew, including Jane Clark here, correct? Yep. I'm going to be there and uh, about five of my, six of my cast members are coming down with me. So cool. I can't wait. I'm gonna, that's going to be so much fun. Yeah. Yes, that will be screening at the Landmark Hillcrest right on Fifth Avenue. Uh, so you can have a lot of great food, get a couple of beers, and then come and enjoy the fun with Jane and myself and everybody at Film Out because it's going to be a blast. Get your tickets now. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me and talking about Crazy Bitches and Meth Head and making movies and other stuff. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> it's been a blast. Happy day.
Thank you for listening to my talk with Jane Clark, writer and director of the horror comedy Crazy Bitches. Again, that will be screening here in San Diego at Landmark Hillcrest on Wednesday, September 24th. Get your tickets now from filmoutsandiego.com and uh, join us. I'll be there along with uh, members of the cast and Jane Clark herself. And you could hear them introduce and Q&A the film in person. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun, as will the rest of us. Also remember that full fast passes are still available, although there are only about 19 left, for my own Horrible Imaginings Film Festival, which is taking place at the Digital Gym Cinema here in San Diego, 2921 El Cajon Boulevard. You can get tickets at hifilmfest.com passes or you can uh, email me at miguel at hifilmfest.com. That will be taking place October 10th through 12th, and we have a lot of great films showing, including Dead Snow 2, Call Girl of Cthulhu, Soulmate, which was produced by Neil Marshall of Dog Soldiers and The Descent fame, as well as a lot of really, really excellent short films, all horror and the different ways we look at horror. It's um, going to be its fifth annual year here in San Diego. So I look forward to doing that and I look forward to another year of horror in San Diego. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Monster Resorts and find me on Facebook and we'll talk movies. Until next time, monster fans, stay scared.